Are you guys royal watchers? Like, do you watch the British monarchy? Did you watch the Queen's funeral? I confess, I am kind of. I did not sit down this time and watch the Queen's funeral just because I didn't have time to do it. But I did watch Harry and Meghan's wedding. And I did watch William and Kate's wedding. And I am Team Kate in the Meghan versus Kate feud. It is fascinating to watch the British monarchy. Although if I were a British subject, I would not want to be ruled by a monarch. So I was very fortunate at NatCon to sit down and have a fun conversation with Michael Knowles in which Michael tried to convince me that Prince Charles, who is now King Charles, isn't the real legitimate heir to the British throne. Yes. He had his reasons. You will hear them. It was actually hilarious. I found it very enjoyable and I hope you enjoy it too. Hey guys, welcome to the Liz Wheeler Show. I'm Liz Wheeler. I'm sitting here in Miami, Florida at NatCon 3 with one of the lesser known speakers who's here. I don't know if you've heard of him or not, but let me give you an introduction to him. He hosts um, a show, forget the name of the show on the Daily Wire, Michael Knowles. It's creatively titled. Yes, wonderful to be with you as always. <laughs> Thank you for sitting down with me. It's good to see you. Hey, good to see you, despite um, the sad news. The sad news is that Queen Elizabeth II died. She was quite a, a formidable and poised figure for like a century or a century in our around the globe. Four years shy. She almost she almost made it a full century, and it does feel like the passing of not just this woman who was greatly admired around the world, not just as of an historical figure who, as queen, met President Truman. She, as queen, she received That's President so Truman to pre President Biden, not just as, as a woman uh, who first reigned uh, over Winston Churchill as prime minister, uh, but as the kind of passing of an era, that she was a connection to a bygone era of, of Europe and the West, and well, the United Kingdom, which is not part of Europe now, uh, but the Western civilization generally at, at a peak. And, and we, I think it's impossible not to feel a sense of decline, in particular in, in the realm of dignity, which she and the monarchy represent, represented. And I, I think part of the reason why her death affects people so much is we feel that that has, that, that that has slipped away, that we've lost something of, of great value. It is interesting to see the mourning, not just in the United Kingdom, not just in the Commonwealth around the world, but even in the United States. I mean, we fought a war against the British monarch, and yet people in the United States are mourning incredibly for this woman. Why do you think people are so fascinated with monarchy in general? Well, it's one of the three good forms of government. You know, I, I, there has developed over some period of time this idea that the American Revolution was anti-monarchy. It wasn't anti-monarchy. It was, it was British subjects who were asserting their rights as Englishmen and declaring a national independence. But it wasn't a revolution against monarchy per se. They were saying, we're going to break away from you, King George. We don't like the way things are being run. Uh, but they preserved the institutions that Britain had given to the United States. And so, you know, you can have good monarchies. We've seen plenty of good monarchy. And you can have a bad version of monarchy, which is called tyranny. You can have good aristocracies. You can have a bad version of that. That's called oligarchy. And you can have good democracies. And you can have a bad version of that. And that's called mob rule. And America, although I know it's common now to say that we are a democracy or a liberal democracy is often how it's referred to, that phrase appears nowhere in our founding documents. 
It appears pretty much nowhere in the English language, the phrase liberal democracy, until 1930. Then it starts to take off in the 50s, and then it really only jumps in 1982. So if America in her very core is a liberal democracy, this is news to everyone who lived before about 40 years ago. Really what the founders and the framers gave us was not a democracy. Democracy is referenced many times uh, in the Federalist Papers. Negatively. And only negatively. It's only with disapproval. And it's not mentioned in the, the other founding documents. What they gave us is a kind of mixed regime that has an executive power, obviously, and it has an aristocratic representation. And it's got a strong democratic element as well. Uh, but it's it's not so simple as to say, you know, we just hate the monarch. We just hate the aristocrats. No, it's a, it's a mixed regime with checks and balances that represents... Uh, different interests and, and aspects of a body politic. That's why they called it a constitutional republic versus a democracy. It's yeah. just, it's just, uh, I, I actually correct people even on the conservative side of things when they talk about saving our democracy, because it's pretty critical difference to have a representative constitutional republic versus a pure democracy. We won't last if we have that. So one of the reactions that I found fascinating from the left after the death of Queen Elizabeth um, is some people are outright celebrating her death, far leftist, because they said she represented an area of imperialism and colonialism. They said that she was the last living vestige of the British Empire as it used to be. And I thought that this was interesting because imperialism, colonialism, and the British Empire have been so vilified, but they brought a lot of good to a lot of places around the world. They did also. It's not a, it's not a purely negative thing. Oh, it's not, it's not negative really at all. I mean, uh, taken, on, taken on balance. And it's also just factually inaccurate what they're saying. The queen was not empress. The, the empire had fallen. And so she reigned over the commonwealth, which was the kind of re uh, replacement for the British empire. But no, the, the empire was gone by the time Elizabeth really came to the throne. And so, uh, no, you think of of the, the lands over which the, those evil British, you know, ruled and reigned and evil imperialism and colonialism, what they brought was almost uniformly blessing to those places. And then the British also let it go. <laughs> when, when their former territories declared themselves republics, the British did not really keep a very heavy hand on anything at all. So to, to attack British imperialism is just... It's historically ignorant for one, but it really just expresses a, a base, basic resentment against uh, England, against Western civilization broadly. And so I think they've arrived at their conclusion first, which is Western civilization is bad, and then they've just got to backfill all of the reasons for it, most of which have nothing to do with history. Right, any intersectional, any intersectional topic, and they just fill in the blanks. It's also interesting to observe historically that as the British Empire diminished, what empire became more powerful, and that, of course, is the Chinese. The Chinese and, and the American empire. I mean, you know, we, we sort of took the reins from them. And the way that, that we govern our empire is we, we don't want to admit that it's an empire. So we use all sorts <laughs> of soft power, you know, rather than um, viceroys and different imperial territorial governors, we have NGOs, right? We have non-governmental organizations. We have American corporations. Obviously, the empire of culture and the media this has spread throughout the world. The, the intelligence uh, apparatus. We have intelligence operatives in every single country on earth. And we've got a, a uniformed American military in something like 40 countries on earth. So, you know, we, we in many ways replace the British empire. Now China is growing as well as an imperial power. And uh, I, I think it's very 
disingenuous for any of us to knock the British for their empire. At least they were honest about it. <laughs> you know, the, the rest of, of the great powers of the world, at least in the modern age, we don't even want to admit it. Well, I think that that's the difference, too, between the American empire and the Chinese empire is the American, the American empire isn't, isn't imperial. We don't have... Um, yeah, depends. I mean, well, we don't have the same desire to con- to conquer nations, maybe to control. Tell tell that to Gaddafi, you know. I mean, tell that to Kuwait. I mean, the the, the I'm not I'm not saying that it. Well, I I actually do think it was wrong for us to invade Libya. You know, in 2011, I think that was. Uh, I think it was a stupid move. I think it was bad to back the overthrow of um, uh, Mubarak, for instance, in Egypt, who had been a good ally. But regardless, maybe you think those interventions are good. No, I think that history showed that they were mistakes. Anytime that there's been, I mean, whether it's from the left or whether it's from neocons, anytime there's been nation building, which is a form of imperialism, imperialism. has turned out to be very negative for America. That's not actually what we have done throughout our history. That's been a very recent thing that... But it's even, you know, have done. but even let's say some, some listener out there who, you know, has, is, is wrong about those. <laughs> Let, let's say that they say, no, I actually think these interventions were a good thing. Okay. You're, you're entitled to your opinion, but it is simply a fact that the United States has engaged in imperial wars of conquest. And so regard, and, and maybe they were more constrained, some were less constrained, but regardless, it, it's just to hold, to, to hold the United Kingdom to some separate standard and say, no, that's very bad because that's an empire. Uh, meanwhile, you know, we and every other great power in the history of the world have done certainly the same thing. And, and we're being less forthright about it. I think that's crazy. Yeah. Well, the lefts, if they didn't have a set of double standards, they wouldn't have any at all. Okay. <laughs> moving forward, the British monarchy. I want to talk about that. King Charles, your thoughts. Here are my thoughts, Liz. I'll give you my thoughts. Though I like that lovely lady who just passed away, Queen Elizabeth, that nice old German lady. Here's where it went wrong. Yeah, Charles I, the martyr king, they kill their king, those, those Brits. Then you get the restoration of the crown. Then you get a period of relative sensibility. And then you get to James II. Now, James II was the last Catholic monarch of England, of the United Kingdom. His predecessor converted to Catholicism on his deathbed. James II is Catholic. Parliament doesn't like that you've got a Catholic uh, ruling England. And so they send him away and they illegitimately uh, depose the king and call for William and Mary of Orange, these Protestant Dutch interlopers whom they invite to take over England. And ever since then, we've had this, this ridiculous, uh, illegitimate monarchy in the United Kingdom. Meanwhile, you have the descendants of James II uh, living in exile, waiting to mount their revenge. And they did try to mount their revenge. These were the Jacobite Risings. They were wonderful. Most notably, the arrival of Bonnie Prince Charlie in Scotland didn't go very well. Kind of a bloodbath for the Jacobites and the poor Scots. And he goes away and finishes the rest of his life with all sorts of mistresses and uh, drinks. So. The Jacobites never really went away. They they dissolved as a political force, but there remains a line. And so you might very well say today that while King Charles III is on the throne in England, there is a more legitimate monarch of England. And that would, of course, be Franz, the Duke of Bavaria, the head of the House of Wittelsbach. Now, Franz is a homosexual and does not have any children. So when he passes, he's somewhat elderly, it will pass to his brother. This would be Maximilian. Maximilian does have a daughter. Her name is Sophia. These are also, though, people of a certain age. And so the real vibrancy, the real rising is going to come from Sophia's son. That would be Prince Joseph Wenzel. He is the Prince of Liechtenstein and an heir to the House of Wittelsbach and the heir to the Jacobite line of succession. The future king 
of England. The legitimate king of England. Someday. Is Charles, the question is, is Charles aware of this threat? <laughs> I don't know. I assume, you know, if Charles were even watching this interview, his eyes would just glaze over halfway through. I think, I don't think, I don't think so. Oh boy, I think I'm going to rule. I, I, I strongly disagree with that. I think Charles has been waiting his entire life for this moment. Yes. No, I just mean he's, I don't think he's worried think... about the boat's landing from Lichtenstein. <laughs> but he has. Probably. He's been preparing his whole life for this. Preparing. That's a very positive way of putting it. I think that he's been waiting around for it. Um, he has ties to the World Economic Forum. He has advocated for the Great Reset. How much power and influence does he have in his position, especially he, considering his very radical leftist poisonous ideology? So he has very little influence by the by comparison to the history of the English monarchy. Though he still has some power. The man is still the king of England. His mother was very, very popular. He is less popular, but I think people still have some loyalty to him. Uh, though one fears that he won't be able to maintain the institution. Uh, yes, he's spoken at the World Economic Forum. Yes, he said all sorts of kooky environmentalist things. They are very frustrating. I am, however, becoming more sympathetic to Charles. I'm getting Charles. <laughs> I am. Here's why. Be I, I watched some clip of him. I'm just going to warn our viewers how wrong this answer is going to be. <laughs> no, this was amazing. I think Charles is playing 4D chess in many ways. I, I saw this interview of him from about 15 years ago, and he's talking about traditionalism, not just even conservatism, but, you know, very, very serious form of conservatism, traditionalism. And he's speaking about, he says, well, you know, as the traditionalist uh, philosopher so-and-so says, uh, tradition is not just the dusty old past creeping, grabbing for the past. It, it is a timeless truth. It is a yearning of the people for a sense of the sacred which the people are yearning after. And he goes on... Didn't and he plagiarize that from his mother? He, well, he, he was citing this uh, traditionalist philosopher and she certainly, you know, had a healthy reverence for the tradition. But I thought, you know, this is a man who's who's actually done his reading, who is, it's hard to call him a leftist in the sense that, you know, the man speaks with RP and he dresses in this very ornate way. And he, you know, he's, he's very, very elitist in, and not in, not in just the Davos kind of cosmopolitan way, in a way that is steeped in history and tradition. And I'm beginning to think that his environmentalism is not so much about paying, you know, obeisance to Mother Gaia or whatever climate change nonsense that Ocasio-Cortez is talking about. I am beginning to think that his environmentalism is a kind of deeply conservative environmentalism in that he just wants his beautiful gardens and orchards <laughs> to go hunting foxes in the countryside, you know. And I, I and if, if that's what it is, and I don't know, it remains to be seen. He might have just gone kind of kooky and left. But but it, if if that's the way he's talking about the environment, Frankly, it's more conservative than the capitalists. You know, I, I think of that William Blake poem and him about uh, Jerusalem, you know, and did these feet in ancient time trod upon England's pastures green. And, and he refers to those dark satanic mills that have, have destroyed the beauty of the English countryside. I think of uh, Sir Roger Scruton, the late great British conservative philosopher, who said, if you want people to be conservative, you need to give them beautiful places. You know, he actually, his only government job was he was in charge of country public housing or something. And he said, he said, it's very important because if you give people gross, dirty, dark projects and neighborhoods and terrible urban planning to live in, they're not going to love their country. You know, the country has a physical aspect to it. And uh, we don't want to just make a bunch of widgets in some industrial mill for the very people who go to Davos, you know. And so it's all of which is to say it's, it's a sort of complicated picture with Charles. And uh, will he will he be his mother? Will he live up to the statue of his mother? I doubt it. Uh, but will he be, you know, some pink haired leftist, you know, shouting my body, my choice? I don't think he'll be that either. I just hope that uh, his 
traditionalist impulses can win out over his desire to be popular. Only Michael Knowles can take a friend of Klaus Schwab and make him a traditionalist hero. Well, you know, there. Uh, look, all of these people, all of the global elites have had some connection to the World Economic Forum. Vladimir Putin is a, has a connection to the World Economic Forum. Of course Forum. he does. He does. But, I, you know, would you call him a leftist? I don't know. I mean, Putin, I, for all of his flaws, I don't know that I'd call the man a leftist. I think he's probably to the right of Genghis Khan, you know. And What and about the next generation of the monarchy? What about William and Kate and Harry and Meghan? I think they're better suited to it. Because the knock on... Are they going on, to reconcile? I, who cares? Like Harry I and care. Meghan, I, well, yeah, I, I care because I want them out of my country. Yeah, I want them back in England and out of America. But I don't, I don't know. They've said they want a slimmed down royal family, so they're probably sidelining Harry and Meghan, uh, which is fine by me. The, the reason that William is better disposed to this is because he has a functioning family. He has a functioning marriage. And this was the big knock on Charles. Charles was terrible to his first wife, and they and then they divorced, and then he remarried, and he's supposed to be the head of the Church of England, and you really shouldn't be Isn't doing that. Isn't that the pivotal part of the Church of England, though? Isn't that why there is a Church of England? Well, except to allow divorce, Henry VIII, yeah, never got divorced. He. Oh well, he had a fake annulment. Yeah, well, he yeah, he, tried, he wanted an annulment. The Pope wouldn't grant it, and then you know he got some nice sharp blades brought in from France, and you know he he dealt with his marriages in a way that was uh, probably less humane in some ways than a divorce. But but yes, I mean practically speaking, the Church of England begins because a man wants to leave his wife, and so you can look at that and say, well, Charles isn't a hypocrite here. He's you know he's and, carrying on the legacy of <laughs> of course, and I think probably every king of England has cheated on his wife many many times. Why should he be any different? But it just it reduces it, t- it takes away from the dignity of the crown, which is the essence of the crown. You know, the, the crown exists for dignity, for an elevated aspect of one's nation, for the, the sovereign to, to symbolize the entire nation. And, you know, you've got the regular politicians who are the efficient part of the body politic, and they just kind of, you know, do the tax regulation or whatever. And then you've got the sovereign and the king who's supposed to be that dignified person. And when he's running around with his mistress, who herself is divorced, then that, that reduces the idea. It, so he doesn't have a lot of sympathy. William will have more sympathy also. I think if there's any hope that the crown can endure a little bit longer, it's probably because William, though a king, naturally less sympathetic than a queen in our day and age, uh, William's mother died when he was really young. Everyone remembers it. The world lost its mind when uh, Diana died. And so I think he has a lot of sympathy. He's got apparently a functioning marriage, good clean-cut boy, seems to be a nice fellow. And so perhaps it could endure a little bit longer. But it is hard to see. In the year of our Lord, 2022, after the death of this monarch who reigned for 70 years, how much longer will people tolerate the monarchy? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it seems to me that sometimes Americans like watching the British monarchy more than the British like their own monarchy. That's we'll have certainly to see. true. Michael Knowles, thanks for sitting down with me. I appreciate Wonderful it. Wonderful to be with you, especially to, you know, uh, have a toast and a send-off to Her Royal Majesty. Requiescat in pace. Indeed. Indeed. All right. Anybody who wants exclusive early access to interviews just like this one, you can join us at lizwheelershow.com slash locals. If you use my promo code ACCESS, you can watch for free for the first month of your annual subscription. That is lizwheelershow.com slash locals. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show.